Hello and welcome back to the Bigger Picture Podcast. I'm your host, Shannon Zhao. And today, I have the NMH basketball head coach, JC, here with me. How are you doing? Doing great. Yeah, so uh, 21 years you've been here. I have. And yeah. you've won five New England championships, is that right? Um, four New England championships. You played in six championship games. Okay. Yeah. And you won a national championship in 2013. Yeah. Played in five national championship games uh-huh. and won the 2013 national championships. Wow, that's yeah. amazing. Yeah. How did you do that? Do you have like a specific coaching philosophy that you try to go for? With yeah, I mean, um, we really try to create an opportunity where, you know, we come down to two things. It's uh, personal accountability mm-hmm. and chasing the best version of yourself. Mm-hmm. And uh, that applies to the individual and the team. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't really care. We never talk about winning. We never talk about championships. We always talk about the best performance we can give, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, towards the end of the season, we'll start talking about championships because it's something that's important to the kids. And, the, you know, it gives them a goal that they can uh, really strive for. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the easiest example is, in 2014, we were very young, mm-hmm. and uh, the result was we made it to the national championship final four, mm. and it was a huge success. Mm-hmm. Uh, they overachieved. Um, you know, to get there was you know really took a a great effort, chemistry, team play, all that. Mm-hmm. And then the very next year, with the same group of guys, we made it to the national championship final four. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a disappointment because they didn't quite get to becoming the best version of themselves, right? Mm. So um, mm-hmm. the goal is that, right? So if every player is trying to become the best version of themselves, that includes being a great teammate. Mm-hmm. And if every player is doing that and every player is committed to believing that their teammate's doing it, you know, you could do some pretty amazing things, Um and I think that's how, you know, a national championship can happen. That's how a New England championship can happen. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't like putting results as the goals mm-hmm. because it's just, you know, we very easily could have won other national championships. And then, mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, we're successful because we won mm-hmm. rather than being successful because we achieved the best version that we could become. Mm-hmm. And so much luck so much luck and and the ball has to go your way and you know you have to make sure you have the healthy bodies Mm -hmm. and everything just has to fall into place for a championship to happen Mm -hmm. and um becoming the best version yourself you have much more control over that Mm, that's so so true so like this year you know we're playing in the national championship tournament and um you know we're at the end of a 39 game season Mm -hmm. uh we're down three bodies to start with. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the opposing team is 100% healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, during the game, you know, one of our players cramps up mm. and another guy gets into foul trouble and mm-hmm. those type of things, you know, uh, are out of your, out of your control. Mm-hmm. And if you decide that we win, we're successful. Mm-hmm. We lose, we're unsuccessful. And I just didn't like that kind of approach. And I think, uh, you end up, you know, if you really chase it, um, the best version of yourself and having personal accountability, um, there's so much more reward. 
Um, and there's so much more satisfaction mm-hmm. than just being like, oh my God, we lost. Yeah. I'm bad. Um, yes, we won. I'm good. And there's, there's a lot of wins and losses. And uh, I don't like taking that away from the players and their development, especially mm-hmm. at this age, mm-hmm. um, by hanging on to, you know, wins and losses and championships. So mm-hmm. we were fortunate enough to win five championships, which was great. And all five of those teams achieved, you know, their fullest capacity. But so did mm-hmm. the 2014 team that, you know, lost in the na- national championship final four. Mm-hmm. So, and that's true of a lot of our teams. 2018 was, might've been our best team ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, they don't have a national championship to show for it. Like, but still they achieved amazing stuff and they really squeezed as much out of it as they could. Mm-hmm. So as a coach, you would much prefer for players to become better players instead of f- saying that, okay, I won this many awards and things like that. Yeah, I think winning is more, oftentimes more, you know, the drive to process, win. Is, is, yeah. Well, not only that, I think the, the drive to win and being result-driven, um, especially at this level, I think is much more about the coach than it is about the players, um, mm-hmm. you know, so I think when it's result-driven that way, um, I'm not sure it's necessarily uh, agreed upon, mm-hmm. right? I think it's much more dictated to the to the athlete, right? Mm-hmm. So at the beginning of the beginning of the season, beginning of the year, every year we have our guys do a handshake, and the handshake is, Shannon, I, I commit to giving you my very best every day, mm-hmm. in order for you to become your best. Mm-hmm. And that's a different type of conversation than in our first team meeting saying, hey, we're going to win the championship this year. Mm-hmm. You know, one team gets to win the championship, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, in New England, there's tremendous teams. Mm-hmm. And if the commitment is, I'm, my commitment is to give me, give my best in order for you to become your best, that's much more collaborative, you know. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're participating in your teammate success as much as you are your own. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the magic happens when every single guy, like I said earlier, like every single guy believes that the guy next to him is given his best mm-hmm. and I got to give my best. I got to mm-hmm. give my best for him. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, especially with this age group where, um, you know, you can only be so good by yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think amazing things can happen when you're part of something bigger than who you are. Right? Yeah, definitely. So, so Angela Duckworth, Duckworth wrote a book called Grit. Mm-hmm. And in it, it you yeah. know, she talks about how boys can only be so gritty by themselves. Mm-hmm. And when they're amongst a, a, a you know, community, they become so much grittier. Mm-hmm. And I really took a lot of that and applied it to what we were doing here. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, so speaking of reading, do you, do you learn a lot while you're in the coaching process? Yeah, with yourself. I mean, are you talking about books, or you're just talking about not only process? books, uh, also. I learn. Maybe. I learn every day. Yeah, every day I'm learning. Um, From where? Everywhere. What kind of things. You, I mean, you name it. I mean, <laughs> it's uh, you know, if you, uh, uh, I've learned I can read three books at a time, right? Really? Yeah, mm-hmm. I can read. I could read a book, and I can listen to two audio books. At the same time? Well, not literally at the same time. Oh, During, okay. <laughs> I, mean, I can't have this book going, this book going, yeah, and read no. a book. But uh, in the same span, I could read three books. So okay. um, the two audio books, you have two different voices. And then the book I'm actually reading is in my voice. So oh. I get a lot from reading, for sure. Okay. But I also get a lot from, 
you know, watching Rich Messer work the dining hall. Like that's an elite operation up there. And he's a great, he's a great leader. And, um, you know, I think I was, you know, people I always get asked like, you know, who's your mentor? And I really had a lot of mentors, right? And it wasn't one specific person who I just followed and I was their disciple, right? Mm -hmm. So I, um, uh, I learned to take a little bit from a lot of different people. Mm -hmm. And I've, because of that, I think, I've learned that information can come at you at any moment, any time. Mm-hmm. And if your eyes are open, you can receive it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my brother is a uh, professor of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Mm-hmm. And I asked him, you know, why they bow to their opponent. And uh, it's obviously, you know, a sign of respect. But he also said they're emptying their cup. And I was like, that sounds amazing. Give me more, you know. Mm-hmm. He's like, they're emptying their cup of their ego. And yeah. the person mm-hmm. that they're competing against is actually their teacher. Hmm. And if they don't empty their cup of their ego, they won't be able to learn the lessons that their teacher, their opponent, is teaching them. Mm-hmm. So the true opponent is your own ego. Mm-hmm. And your actual opponent is actually your teacher. So hmm. if I walk around with my ego full, mm-hmm. my cup full of my ego... This information that's coming my way, I won't even see it. I won't receive it, mm-hmm. and I won't do anything with it. Mm-hmm. Right, and um, I really try to instill that in our guys, where you just never know where information's coming. Right, yeah. like I'm sure I'm going to leave. I'm paying attention, like well, you know, leaving listening to your podcast, mm-hmm. your tempo, your pace, the way you ask questions, you're thoughtful, you pivot in your questioning. Right, mm. like I learned a lot listening to your podcast. Right? <laughs> really? Yeah, for sure. Interesting. And um, you know, that's how I just try to walk around this planet is just, you know, you paying attention to lessons. You know, this life will teach you a lot of things if your eyes are open. Hmm. Interesting. There, there were a lot of good information that you just sort of pointed out. So, how do you instill these good information to your team? Like, how do you? Yeah, I think. Um, coaches have to decide a what motivates them and what their plan is, right? Mm-hmm. What they're what they're what they're trying to accomplish. Mm-hmm. So, um, a long a while now. I mean, twenty one years in, it, it feels a long time ago. But I just decided that I wasn't going to be a coach. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's thousands and thousands and thousands of coaches. You know, mm-hmm. there's. 50,000 high schools in the country, right? Mm-hmm. And there's 20 sports per school. And, you know, you're talking about millions probably of coaches. Mm-hmm. And that just wasn't, a, you know, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I didn't want to have that label of coach mm-hmm. because, you know, you're an athlete. Like, have you had good coaches? Yeah. Okay. Have yeah. you had bad coaches? Of course. Okay. I didn't want either of that baggage coming to me. Hmm. Right. So when you say coach, you're bringing that positive experience and you're also bringing that negative experience. So I don't want you to call me coach. Right. Hmm. Um, Because I don't want that previous relationship influencing ours. So Hmm. I took that. So what you're saying is if I call you coach, I may, um, have prejudices or mm-hmm. 
the, my mental images from previous coaches that I had. Yeah. But then if I approach you to as you, then I will treat you as another kind of relationship. Yeah. So my, my idea was that, um, you know, anytime someone called me coach, I just call you player. And the kid would uh. look back and be like, hmm, you know, <laughs> that doesn't seem, uh, that's not, there's not, there's not access there, uh-huh. you know? And uh, I didn't want, I wanted more access, right? I wanted a partnership, uh, not okay. a, you know, not a tyrannical situation, right? Okay. And I think it's, I've watched parents change the way they parent. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was a kid, it was tyrannical. Like you would hear, mm-hmm. your parents would say something and you'd be like, well, why do I have to do that? And the answer was, because I said so. Mm-hmm. And that was tyranny, right? Like mm-hmm. you had no, there was no partnership. There was no voice. And you just had to do as you were told. Mm-hmm. And then part, and then parents became, you know, partners. Mm-hmm. We're in this together. Mm-hmm. And most recently, they be, they become friends mm-hmm. with their kids, mm-hmm. and you know I think that's I don't know if that's necessarily healthy or unhealthy, but that was the evolution I saw, and you know the the, the concept of my way or the highway, that's gone, you know, and I thought with coach there was that label of, um, you know hierarchy. I don't mm-hmm. believe in hierarchies in business or. Um, academics or on a basketball team, you know, mm-hmm. I just think it's much more of a flatter operation where, you know, the Every, manager yeah. has as much access to the program as I do. Right. Mm. And has much access to me as anybody else. Like there's no hierarchy in our program. And mm. I think you would see that, um, in our relationships that I have with the managers or I have with the players and all that. So, the, you know, the bottom line was I didn't want to have coach be a part of it. <clears throat> so I was like, all right, well, if I'm not a coach, what am I? And what I came up with was I'm a liberator of talent, right? That's what I do, hmm. right? So if I'm a liberator of talent, I need to study how to release people's abilities. And I didn't think you could do that from with the title coach. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought there was a limitation on that. Like there was only so far you could bring an athlete when the relationship was coach player. Right. But if there was a partnership between me and the athlete and their parent guardian, whatever, I thought there was something significant there. So, uh, that's where, you know, a lot of it came from was this, you know, the, the, the idea of titles and hierarchies and things like that rather than we're next to each other, let's go get this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So you were speaking that, well, in your history or in your childhood, you were put in this tyrannical situation. So since when did you sort of realize that I need to change this, I need to make this into a, I need to eliminate the hierarchy and make everyone on the same level? Was there a specific mentor or something? Yeah, I mean, my father was one of them. Um, but it was also, uh, you know, part of it was just inside of me uh-huh. where um, I would study, you know, I was playing in the game mm-hmm. and then I'd study the decisions that the coaches were making. And then mm-hmm. I would say, I would have done it this way or I would agree with that or, and that's just how my mind was operating where I was just paying attention to the decisions that were being made 
strategically in game as far as personnel, the politics involved in sport. And I promised, you know, I just, I just saw the wrong and the right in the way things are. And I think we're all, you know, we have, we were all on our path for whatever reason. And I had, you know, same thing. I've had really great leaders in my life and I've had horrible leaders mm-hmm. and I learned from both. Mm. Right. And one of the, Pieces of advice, not even advice, it's more of a suggestion um, that I give my assistant coaches when they join us is um, be the coach you wish you had, right? Mm. And I try to be the coach that I wish I had, right? And I know the coaches that were, or really the leaders, because it's not, you know, at this point, you know, I've worked on Wall Street, I've worked here for 21 years, I've had a lot of different leaders in my life, Mm -hmm. and it's really about who would I want leading me mm-hmm. and I want to be that person for this group of people. Right. Yes, definitely. So, um, so early on I, I was paying attention to that and I had tyrants for sure in my life mm-hmm. that were just like, this is the way it's going to be. And they were not interested in evolution ideas, partnerships and those programs, organizations failed. You know, mm. they failed to reach the best version themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've just, you know, I knew that if they were willing to participate in a conversation that we could have elevated our space. And uh, uh, that's why I'm open to information because, like, you just never know mm-hmm. where that insight's going to come from. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's why, like, you know, Early on, I was taking that approach, and I just didn't know I was doing it necessarily. It was kind mm-hmm. of innate, mm-hmm. but then I started to practice it much more. Mm. And uh, every single day I've been here, I've practiced that. Every day, every day, every just to day. be open, learning, and also making the environment a healthy environment. Yeah, you'll yeah. be surprised if you if you um, acknowledge that you're aware. Um, you know, it's that that law of attraction. Mm-hmm. If you're looking for information and you're open to it, it'll find you. You know, if you're looking mm-hmm. for inspiration, if you're looking for whatever, it'll find you. Um, How does that happen? You, you make choices, right? Mm-hmm. So before your feet hit the floor, mm-hmm. you have a choice, right? Every step, you have a choice. Uh, every thought, you have a choice. And it's practiced, it's rehearsed. Um, so what do we choose? It's, it's up to you, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, your, it's your life, it's your path, it's how you communicate. Mm. So there's a, a great book, Inner Game of Tennis. And, ah, I've read that, yeah. Right? So they have the self one, yeah. self two. Yeah. Right? Self one is the natural self, and self two is how we communicate with that natural self. Mm-hmm. If you didn't have a thought in your head, and you know, you're shooting free throws, and you've, you know, I've shot millions and millions of free throws, and if I did it scientifically and just did my routine, mm-hmm. released the ball as I normally would, I would probably shoot 97% from the free throw line. Um, every now and then the ball might be wet and might slip, but then mm-hmm. it's what's the conversation that you're having in your head. Mm-hmm. And I choose to listen or not listen to the insecurity, the uncertainty. Mm-hmm. And I choose to not listen to the, the certainness, you know? Mm-hmm. So we all have choices and it is practiced, 
Mm-hmm. You know, like we don't realize that this is a lifetime of practice to think the way we think. Mm-hmm. And I, I believe that, you know, some of these things are a light switch where you could just turn it on and turn it off and you could practice differently. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a, um, we had a kid who, uh, we, you know, there's a lot of ways to do it. There's like, uh, you know, you can brush it off. There's all kinds of different yeah, yeah. cues you can use. Right. And mm-hmm. we had one kid who wore a rubber band and I said, every time you have a negative thought, just snap it. Right. Mm-hmm. And, uh, by noon he texts me, he's like, man, my wrist is killing me. <laughs> right. And it's like, yeah. So every time that happens, snap your wrist, stop and, um, uh, think, reframe it like change a positive thought you know Mm -hmm. uh with another guy we had him stop you know literally put his hands out and be like let me just stop for a moment be present mindful of what is happening what control i have in the moment and what's happening in my my thoughts so we've practiced it with a lot of different kids and it's not one way is the right way you just got to find a way that works for you but Mm -hmm. um you know how we achieve how we succeed it's all rehearsed you know and it's it's our habits that we're, we're creating and not even realize that we're creating it until someone shows you hey these are the habits you've created mm-hmm. um you go to the dining hall you have a choice of what food you eat mm-hmm. you know? definitely so there's all you know we practice good choices mm-hmm. how do you sort of teach it or not teach but share it as you mentioned that you like to view yourself as the liberator of yeah, Potential. so there's um, uh, there's two things. So mm-hmm. there's language. Everyone, everyone always comes, you know, like college coaches come to us and like, how do you have this culture? Like culture is the catchphrase of the day, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, before you have culture, you have to have a language. So we practice um, three words, statements. So I want to capture an idea, a paragraph, uh, a story, in three words, because I think that's the the easiest way to grab someone's attention, right? You, you mean you practice this in your team? Yeah. So, okay. you know, we have things like run to the roar, are you a hundred? Um, you know, uh, just, you know, there's hundreds and hundreds of them. But one of the things that I really believe in is, is you know, there's thousands of micro actions. So if you have... Um, you know, if you come in every day and say, hey, we're going to work really hard today, we're going to work really hard today, we're going to work really hard today, that just loses its gravity with mm-hmm. the, the, the athletes, right? Mm-hmm. But if you can say the same message differently and, you know, a lot of different ways and uh, make it fresh and mm-hmm. play into the attention span of the, especially at this age group, this teenage age group, mm-hmm. um, now you have a language and now you have a culture that is bulletproof. Right. Mm. So, you know, if I, I'll tell you a story about, you know, how, uh, a tribe of lions capture, uh, their prey. Mm-hmm. So in the middle will be the prey. The lions on one side will have these old lions and on the other side, they'll have the young bucks, like the, the guys who can go out and get it. Right. Mm-hmm. So the lion, the old lions roar. Right, they mm-hmm. go out a big roar because they can't capture anything. Mm-hmm. So they roar. What do you think the prey does? They run away. It runs away, right? And the, one of the lines we use is that if you run to your fear, there's freedom. And we use this story as an example, right? Hmm. So rather than having to say to them, hey, remember that story about the lions? Mm-hmm. We say run to the roar, right? Mm-hmm. 
So we have hundreds and th- really thousands, thousands of those type of stories where we are um, creating the culture and giving them a language. Mm. So you say that you have hundreds and thousands of these. Where do you get all of these stories? And I mean, right now you have your phone where you have um, like all of your speeches, right? Yeah. Yeah, that you just try so, to keep it fresh and everything. Yeah, How do so, you... So it's, um, you know, Ben Chasen had a good one. It was one of our guys this year. Mm-hmm. And he came up with an expression for himself. So he, his was quit tomorrow. Right? Mm-hmm. So tomorrow I'm going to quit. Today I'm not. Today I'm going to give my best. But tomorrow I might quit. Mm-hmm. And then tomorrow came and then it was today. And <laughs> he's like, I'll, I'll quit tomorrow. <laughs> but today I'm going to give my best. Uh-huh. Yeah. So uh, I took that from Ben. Right. Uh, 24-hour contract. Did you do enough today to earn a contract for tomorrow? Right. I got that from a book that Rick Pitino wrote. Uh, I didn't enjoy the book at all, <laughs> but that concept I really liked. Like, uh-huh. I'll read a 300-page book. Just for one concept. That's right. You know, literally. It'll be like, well, that book was great, but, um, you know, I really liked 24-hour contract. Uh-huh. Um, uh, I was trying, I was working with one of our players, and I was like, this guy has every talent and ability in the world. How can I get him to recognize that he should be tired at the end of the day? Right. So what tired? we ca- tired, like he should be physically, oh, okay. mentally trained. Yeah. Tired because yeah. He, he's yeah. getting the most out of himself. Yeah. And I was like, how many days, how many times a week do you go to bed tired? He's like, eh, I don't know. Once. And I'm like, I go to bed tired every day. Like, I sleep really, really well. My head is, I'm asleep before my, my head hits the pillow. That's me. Hmm. And um, I know I have to do that in order to get achievement, performance, things like that. And I, so I asked him, I was like, you know, how do you, when your day is done, how do you know you won? Like, how do you know you, you, did, you got the most out of it? And he's like, mm-hmm. eh, you know, this, this, and this. And I'm like, all right, let's try this. There's 11 hour and a half segments in a day. Segments. Segments. So if you break up your day, you know, you're sleeping for seven to nine hours, whatever, hopefully. And then there's another, you know, there's, there's 11 hour and a half segments the rest of the day. So let's break your day up into an hour and a half blocks. Mm-hmm. And I decided to do it with them. Mm-hmm. So at the end of that hour and a half, your phone will buzz. You'll have an alarm. And then you're going to give yourself a check or an X. If you had an eventful hour and a half segment, uh, give yourself a check. If you didn't, give yourself an X. Do you plan the events beforehand or it's just... Yeah, like, uh, you know, you have have your day planned. You're like, Mm -hmm. all right, I'm going to work out. I'm going to go to class. I'm going to go to lunch. You know, it could be anything, right? And even if it's hanging out, did you make the most of that time with your friends or did we, you know, were you sour? Um, like, or were you like lifting other people? Like even your downtime, did I watch a really terrible show or did I watch something that is going to inspire me? Right. It's Mm -hmm. like all that. So there's 11. What I liked about it was, you know, if to win you're six and five, so it's not like some ridiculous score. So um, if you are having an incredible day, you want 11 and 0. If you have a bad day, you're 0 and 11. Mm-hmm. So you could actually, 
you know, put that into data, right? How many days, how many games, how many, how many segments did I win? So at the end of the day, if you're 11 and 0, you're going to, you're going to be tired. Mm-hmm. If you're 0 and 11, you're going to have a lot of energy by the end of the day. And you're going to be up until three o'clock in the morning. You'll be up until two o'clock and be making bad decisions. Right. Mm. So, um, you know, the, the point of it was with this kid in particular, the conversation we had was like, all right, um, uh, you're one, you're six foot eight. Mm-hmm. And how many guys are taller than you on campus? He's like, I don't know, five. Like, great. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a 35 on the ACT. Mm-hmm. How many kids are as smart as you on campus? He's like, I don't know, 30. All right, fine, 30. Um, really, really strong verbal presenter. Like, how many kids can speak like you? Like, really have command of, of, of vocabulary, language, presentation. He's like, I don't know, 20, 30. I'm like, all right, great. And we did that for every category, right? And mm-hmm. I was like, all right, how many... How many guys are as good looking as you on campus? He was like three, <laughs> right? So he knew that number, but he guessed on every other number. But the point was, is that he had all the talent in the world and he just wasn't making the most of it, mm-hmm. right? He wasn't being the best version of himself. So I could say to him, be the best version of yourself, or we could come up with this micro action of let's have eventful days. Mm-hmm. So we did this in the summer of 2017, and it was the most eventful summer I've had. So and you worked with him every day? I did it, and he did it. And I was okay. like, hey, I went, I went nine and two. And he'd be like, ah, it wasn't a great day. I went three and eight. And he and I worked on it together. But, like, that, you know, getting back to what you're saying, is like, how do you practice this? This is a way to practice, right? So you're like, I went six and five. I went seven and four. I went eight and three. And then you go 11 and 0. And can you imagine where you'll be in a week of 11 and O's, two weeks, three weeks, a month, and you start stacking these days of eventful days. Mm-hmm. You'll sleep better. You'll eat better. You'll be a better friend. You'll be a better student. You'll be a better athlete. You'll be better at everything. Mm-hmm. Because now when you're spending time with your parents, you're spending time with your parents. Mm-hmm. And when you're hanging out, you're getting some rest. And when you're watching a show, you're choosing a different kind of show. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the good part that I liked is that um, what I found doing it was my hour and a half, my, my bell would ring and it would refocus me to, to step up my energy. Mm-hmm. Right. So like, um, you know, you could do a project and do it for two, two and a half hours. And then when that two and a half hours is up, you know, you probably drifted, but every hour and a half, I, I had a pick me up. Like, hey, you, this needs to be eventful. So I think it, it, for me, it really worked, and I enjoyed it quite a bit. And I and this kid took a lot out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's just some of the things that you learn. Like, you know, you're paying attention to like what kids need, and you're thinking about how what button. And I really, I'll press any button for any kid, and you start thinking about what can help this kid, and then you find the information that you need in order to help that person. So again, like the information that's coming at you may not be the information that's needed at that moment, Mm -hmm. but you put it in your pocket and you're like, this is going to be really good for Channing later. Mm -hmm. And you you just catalog it and then you use it when you need it for that person. So, So you would say with every different player that you have or every different student that you have, 
you'd have a different approach of trying to help them reach their potential, right? Or yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, there's stuff that we could do as a group, but uh-huh. it is much more individual-based for us, you know. Mm-hmm. And again, so you, it's, 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 you know, say there's 15 kids on the team, it's 15 partnerships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you would have to get to know 15 of them personally. Yeah. And get to know them. and then. But the other part is they got to get to know me too, mm-hmm. right? So I give speeches and um, we talk about uh, a player-coach relationship as a two-way street. And mm-hmm. I'll ask the kids in the room and I'll be like, all right, how many of you know your, your coach's birthday? Mm-hmm. All right. Do you have a coach on campus? Yeah. When's his birthday? <laughs> I don't know. Right? Yeah. Does he have a pet? Does he have a child? What are their names? Where do they go to school? What do you know about your coach? Mm, interesting. Right. So the partnership isn't just your coach to you. You have a responsibility in that relationship too. Yeah. So most of my guys will, you know, know my wife's name, know my, well, possibly know my birthday. <laughs> um, but, you know, that's just the part of it is that, you know, you have this, if this is going to be a partnership, you have to participate. So mm-hmm. I go out of my way to know a lot about them. And the expectation is that they do the same. You know, mm-hmm. they know about their coaches. They know about their assistant coaches. They know, you know, things about them. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I, I need to know how and what is important to them. Um, you know, just like my liberator of talent thing, I need to know what their motto is, what their idea of themselves is, what where they're trying to go to school. Um, because I always viewed our, our program as uh, a college prep program. Mm-hmm. So if one kid's trying to go to Williams and another kid's trying to go to Harvard and another kid's trying to go to Stanford, um, there's some real subtleties in those three schools. I mean, there's an academic preparation that comes along with that. Uh, There's a social preparation that comes with all of it. There's uh, an understanding of the local landscape Mm -hmm. that comes with that. Mm -hmm. And then there's real subtleties because of who the coach is, what kind of offense they run, what kind of defense who their teammates are going to be, what level it is, what kind of commitment you can have. Mm-hmm. You know, the the expectation of, a, of an athletic athlete at Stanford mm-hmm. is really different than the expectation of, a, of an athlete at Williams. Mm-hmm. And we know that. Mm-hmm. So if I don't know those type of things about an athlete and whether or not they're capable of doing those things, um, then I can't coach them as well. So I need to know about them for sure. Yeah, and you also need to get to know colleges too. Absolutely. And so, would you help every one of them a lot in their college process and For sure. everything? Yeah, I mean, it's um, you know, that's our business here. Yeah, is um, you know, it's the growth while they're here, but it's also preparing them for the next level and getting them there, and mm-hmm. then also making sure that they can have success when they arrive. So. Mm-hmm. The easiest example I have is that one kid that I coached really couldn't handle profanity. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was looking at a school where the coach co- cursed quite a bit. He, had, he was very vulgar in his, his presentation. And if I didn't know that, that could have been a four-year mistake where that kid, or at least a year mistake where he decided to transfer. Mm-hmm. But that's just a little tiny thing, but that's a really big piece to um, you know a student-athlete's experience is – how they're going to be communicated to, how they're going to be addressed, and how they're going to be, you know, handled. Mm-hmm. 
And if one of the core things for a student is, um, you know, they don't like working out Tuesday evenings, and I know that every single Tuesday night there's a workout, um, I want to be able to share that information with the, the student, the athlete. Mm. Um, you know, at some schools, it's really hard to be an engineer major and be an athlete, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, if a kid wants to be an engineer uh, major in, co- in college and he's looking at a particular school and it's like, you know, that's really hard to be an engineer major at that school and be an athlete. You could be an engineer major or you can be an athlete, but it's going to be really tough to combine the both. Mm-hmm. Right? And so it is important to know that information. You know, I've been to thousands and thousands and thousands of um, uh, division one practices, college practices. Hmm. I've been to, I don't know, 300 colleges and, uh, you know, to, to really understand that information and make sure our kids make right choices. Do you do that after knowing which uh, college your players are looking at or you, you just do it? I do it, it all the time. Yourself? Yeah, I do it all the time. I like being there. I like, uh, you know, again, it gets back to the learning piece. Yeah, um, Op- being open and receiving information. Learning. That's right. Yeah. You know, so I want to see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And if we're, you know, a college prep program, I want to know what the colleges are doing. Mm-hmm. So we can prepare our kids for that that level, you know. And I, you know, I've always, uh, you know, I always think a, a bad program has nothing to do with their school. A good program has is in line with the school's mission, and then a great program is the best of what that school has to offer. Mm-hmm. And you know, working at a place like here, where um, you have really good examples, like you know, I always thought our math department was great. I always thought our choral program was great, and. Uh, you know, it's not a coincidence that the kids from our choral program go on to college and join acapella groups, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they're doing college-level stuff. Mm-hmm. So I always wanted, I, I was inspired by that early on in my time here, and I just wanted to know what the colleges were up to so mm-hmm. we could our kids could arrive on college campus. You know, we always say, like, they could arrive on a college campus or they could be prepared to achieve on a college campus. Mm-hmm. And anybody can arrive on a college campus, you know. But mm-hmm. I want I wanted our kids to be prepared to achieve the second mm-hmm. they arrived on campus. So that's why a lot of times why I went to college practices, I want to see what they were doing. And then we just, you know, did it. Yeah. Yeah. From what you said, you, you, you're doing a lot of things. You go to college practices, you learn, you read, you build these relationships with your players. How do you manage all these different things all together? Wouldn't you get tired of no, it? It's, or? it's uh you know, I've never considered what I do a job. Uh-huh. And you, like, I, I hear coaches say this. Like, I can't, oh, the season's got one more week to go. Like, oh, we're <laughs> almost done. I've never wanted the season to end. Right? And yeah. I've never waited for Friday to come. Mm-hmm. And I think the advantage I had was I worked for Morgan Stanley and I worked for Wall Street. Yeah. And I really, really liked it. Mm-hmm. Um, but the guy I was working with, who was my partner, he loved it. Mm-hmm. And I knew I didn't have what he had. Hmm. And I was like, I got to find it. And once I started doing this, I was like, this is it. Right. So I never felt like I gave it too much time. It never fatigued me. Um, because that's what you're passionate about. That's what I do. Mm. You know, so... You know, I, I hear, like I said, I hear coaches would be like, oh, man, just one more game left. And I'm like, you're not, you should not be doing this. 
if that's your approach and you're leading children and inspiring young student athletes, don't do it. Like go find some other thing to do where you can find a passion. Mm-hmm. But I, I really have a hard time with um, when, when people say that it I like, I just like, Oh, like, you know, it really gets that's me horrible. Man. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. But you hear it all the time. Yeah. They're like, oh, okay. I'm just really tired. I don't want to do this anymore. I can't wait for the season. And it's like, Go work go find somewhere else. else. Yeah. yeah. Like, you know, go be a librarian. <laughs> Do something, but don't be a coach. Like, that's not what you're supposed to be doing, waiting for the season to end. <laughs> you know, waiting for practice to be over, you know. Like, yeah. that's not, I don't believe in that. Well, I, don't, I don't think uh, anyone should do that, any, yeah. any profession. No, yeah. definitely. But there's like a statistic that shows that 80 or 90% of the people don't like their job. Yeah. It's horrible. Yeah. But... So why did you choose to work in a high school, in, in coaching a high school program, student? Yeah, well, we, we haven't talked about it yet, but I went to oh, school yeah. here, too. So, oh, really? Yeah. So uh, I went to school in New York City uh, at Poly Prep, and then I came here for a postgraduate year. Ah. And um, Norfolk Mount Herman and the people showed me a path I didn't know existed. And what, what path? Well, I mean, I think, um, you know, the previous school I was at, it was, um, you fell into a category and I settled in, you know, they were like, you're an athlete, like, great, I'm an athlete. And I settled into that category and, uh, love, you know, I really, I thought I was really liking it, but I had, you know, I was frustrated too. And I didn't even know why. And, um, you know, I, I did the athlete thing and this person did the art thing. And, you know, there, so there were like labels Specializations, on kids. Specializations, yeah. Yeah. And it was labels on kids. And, um, I came here and I was like, I'm an athlete. And they were like, great, what else do you do? <laughs> and I was like, huh, like, what else do I do? <laughs> you know, yeah. And um, uh, I started to think about what else I did. You know, like up until that point, I just never really had to think about it. I was like, oh, well, in the spring I play baseball and in the summer I swim and play basketball and in the fall I play football, you know. Okay. And I ran cross country too and uh-huh. um, uh, my wow. senior year, but I was just like, that's what I do. Mm-hmm. And you know, here they were like, "Great, well, you know, you got to participate with the rest of the humans too. Like, you got to like, mm-hmm. what else do you do?" And then I started figuring it out, and uh, my my social life grew, mm-hmm. um, my friend group grew, mm-hmm. uh, and my interest grew. Mm-hmm. And I was forever grateful to NMH for that experience. Mm-hmm. So um, I knew I would always give back to the school, but I wasn't sure how. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so this, you know, all these little things kind of converged on each other. I was working at Morgan Stanley and I was playing all this pro-am stuff and I was playing basketball three, four times a week. I was 30 years old, 31. And I was like, all right, well, I can't do this basketball four nights a week thing much longer. Mm -hmm. And, but I want to stay involved. And I was like, I think I want to coach. So I called Bill Batty, who was my former coach and a legend at the school. Mm -hmm. And I said, I think I want to come back. And he uh, helped me align with the uh, admissions office and also the math department. Um, the math department was kind enough to interview me, but I, I had no business being a math teacher. <laughs> but I ended up getting the job in admissions. Yeah. And um, that was really the start of um, my coaching career. But mm-hmm. the reason I chose, it wasn't necessarily me choosing high school. It was me choosing to come back here. Ah. And then I realized that this was the, the age group I wanted to work with. Yeah. Um, 
uh, I felt like what I went through as a teenager um, provided me the access to what teenagers were going through where I could lead them through it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it turned out that, you know, this was really the sweet spot for me working with 16 to 20 year olds. So it was, uh, it was really great. But because I, this yeah. is like the key, key moment of our lives and it yeah. can really change, shape the direction of where we're going to go. Yeah. And I think a lot of adults either didn't have a great range of experience as uh, a teenager or forget what it was like to be a teenager. And uh, neither of those were true with me. Like I had a pretty significant range of experience as a teenager, especially growing up in New York city. And then uh, I still don't forget what it was like, like the difficulties, you know, walking into a space for the first time and what that was like. And, and uh, uh, the inner turmoil you felt and, and, you know, all the, energies and hormones and everything that was going on. Like I still can remember it like it was yesterday. So I think, Mm. um, that helped in my ability to connect with kids is that I just never forgot, um, how hard it was like teenage, you know, they're Mm -hmm. like, Oh, high school is the best time of your life. Like, no, no, it's not. Mm -hmm. I hope not. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, I hope you go on to like amazing things after Mm -hmm. this. Mm -hmm. But, um, uh, high school was hard for me. So I just wanted to, help guide people through that time. It's mm-hmm. really hard. High school's hard. Yeah. Yeah. No, of course. Yeah. Do you, so right now you not only coach, what, what else do you do? Well, I worked in admissions for 14 years here. Okay. And then I spent time in the admission and the athletic department. Okay. And then I was just running some events in the fall. Uh-huh. Um, so I was, you know, again, a uh, dorm parent over it or an advisor to kids in Overton. I've been over there for a decade plus. Um, you know, I ran some events in the fall that this uh, meet a CEO where we brought the CEO from iSlides and an interview company and mm-hmm. we did some pretty cool yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So we, um, so I've been doing some of that, but I've worn a lot of different hats. I was a uh, DJ at the radio show. I had a really good show with Aaron Burstein when he was a little kid. It was the kid, <laughs> the, they're called the kid and the coach. <laughs> so when he was like eight, nine years old, he's got an incredible mind for sports and stats and <laughs> opinions so i've done a lot of different stuff here for sure yes yeah, it sort of comes back to your experience at an image yeah that sure. you, you realized you not only have the hat of the coach and you can also have all these other identities yeah you know i think um you know for me and the, the cool part is my brother did a postgraduate year after i did mm-hmm. and um you know we were on the same similar path before we got here and then um, we went on different paths when, once we left here. So like I became like an outdoorsman and, you know, was hiking all the time and he became a DJ at the radio station. He went to Wesleyan university where he was a DJ there and managed the radio station. So hmm. like we were very, very similar creatures in many ways coming in. And then we were very, very different coming out. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, that part really played a role in my experience here too. Mm. It's to help you shape yourself and find who you are. For sure. No doubt. Mm. So let's sort of get back to mindset and mentality. Mm -hmm. And so I've heard from Jackson and Justin that you you have a lot of specific ways in coaching, like receive, um, reflect, reflect and respond, things like that. What what other things do you do? So uh, receive, reflect, respond um, was from Adam Harrington, who was a coach with the Brooklyn Nets. Okay. And he and I were talking about, um, you know, again, that three-word thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, like 
I can go up to you and be like, hey, I want you to hear what I'm about to say. I want you to really digest it. And then I want you to, um, you know, take action on Make it. Make it memorable. Yeah. yeah. Or I can say receive, reflect, respond. And you're uh-huh. like, yep, I got it. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, my coaching philosophy or style, I guess, is uh, imitate, assimilate, innovate. Right. So imitate what I'm saying exactly the way I'm saying it. Assimilate it. So understand and make it yours and make it muscle memory and then create, innovate out of it. So um, there are a lot of things like that, right? Um, We, you know, I had a great conversation with Frank Shorter, who is, you know, probably our most distinguished alum athletically, um, ran at Yale and then got a a JD from Florida and, Mm -hmm. you know, many, many, many national championships, world championships. He's the only American to win the Olympic gold. And he was back giving the commencement address. And I asked him the night before, um, you know, I was fascinated by this idea that, you know, you're a national champion and you're si- you're lining up for a marathon, which is 26.2 ma- miles. Mm-hmm. And everybody else on the starting line is a national champion. You know, like this isn't like a, a, a general public marathon. It's 20 people, maybe 30 people. And I'm like, how do you win that event? Like, how do you take control? Like, what do you, what happens on a race that's 26.2 miles? You know, like a, a hundred yard dash, it's like, get off quick, run as fast as you can. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, make sure your technique, your thumbs are in your eyes, your elbows are to the sky, right? Mm-hmm. Like you, there's a certain form you need. But at 26.2 mile, you need that, but you also need a much stronger mental, mental game, yeah. right? Because it's a two hour race. Yeah. So he said, uh, you either fall or you lean, right? And I was like, great. I love the sounds of that too. Tell me more about it. <laughs> and he's like, well, if you have really, if there's 30 guys lined up, only 10 can really have a chance at winning. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, seven of those 10 are going to falter. You know, they didn't get a good night's sleep. They're sick. You know, their training wasn't correct. Something happened. Just not their day where those seven are no longer really truly competitors on that day. And then you're down to three. And whoever gets the other two to run his race instead of their own wins. And I was like, fascinating. I love that Mm. idea. How do you do that? And he said, you either fall or you lean. (laughs) And I was like, great, tell me more. <laughs> you know, I'm like, it was just, yeah, he just kept inviting, like, all right, great, I need more. And he was just like bringing yeah. me closer and closer and closer. And I was like sure. more and more into what he was saying. Sure. So he was like, all right, well, just imagine you're, you're standing on a cliff and, you know, you don't know if there's safety at the end of it, right? Like, you're, like, you're looking down, you're like, that's serious. Mm-hmm. Um but it could be safe, but maybe it's not. You don't know. It's pitch black. Mm-hmm. And two of the guys who are running, they lean. They lean in and they look. And they're just like, no, nah, I don't want to do it. And then one guy jumps. And he's like, I'm checking it out. And that's who wins the race, the guy who jumps. And he's mm. like, I'm going to make you run my race. And if the race, if the strategy is true, and you jump, and the other two lean, you're going to get them. So I was fascinated that it was such a cutthroat way of competing in a marathon. I just didn't look at it that way. 
you know? And he was like, yeah, like it's, you just have to have the strong will to just be, have conviction in your strategy and your approach and making them run your race. And mm. I was like full or lean. I was like, I love that. And, you know, in the game of basketball, there's 600,000 kids playing high school basketball. Yeah. And there are, you know, 1,500 Division One scholarships a year. Mm-hmm. And if you make it even smaller, there's eight Ivy League schools, and at most they're going to bring in five kids. There's 40 spots in the Ivy League. Every year. Every mm-hmm. year, right? And most years one school or another will say, we're only going to take four kids. So now you're talking about 36, 35 spots in the Ivy League for all the basketball players on the planet, Mm -hmm. right? And our guys were taking three or four of them a year. Mm. So North Mount Herman kids were taking 10% of the allocated spots in the Ivy League. Wow. Right? So do you get those spots by falling or leaning? What do you think? Falling. That's right. But how? You have to convict, be con- have full conviction, right? Mm. So these get back to the micro actions. Are you 100? Run to the roar. Like most kids will hear that number 35 and be like, wow, that's really scary. Mm. We have our guys convinced that those belong to them. Like mm. I, be- that belongs to me. And I am committed and convict- have the conviction to understand what I need to do to get it. And I'm going to fall in and I'm going to chase it. And when I'm scared, I'm going to run to my fear, mm-hmm. run to the roar. And I'm going to imitate, assimilate, and innovate because it's been done here so many times, right? We have another expression called run to the standard. I tell our best guys, just keep running. Don't go back to get anybody. Make them chase you, right? And what tends to happen over the years here is that each class elevates what we're doing but if you slow them down and be like hey go pick that kid up then you're slowing down progress Mm -hmm. right and again it's run to the standard that kid will get up and that kid will chase you and when he does and you leave and he keeps running what's going to happen he's going to pass pass you you, right so it's those type of thousands and thousands of micro actions that we're talking about if, if, if students are getting that kind of information all the time, uh, that kind of inspiration all the time, mm-hmm. and their opponents aren't, mm-hmm. what do you think is going to happen? Yeah. They're going to take it. Take it, yeah. So at that level, and really what, he, what Frank was getting at is, you got to take those things. Mm-hmm. You know, those type of opportunities, a Harvard Yale, Stanford, Northwestern, like those are unique. And when there's so many people competing for it, those aren't given to people. Mm-hmm. You know, if you watch Luke Hunger this year, he wasn't given anything. And he took a lot. He scored 30 points, you know, 20 rebounds. And he fell in this year. And if you talk to him about what it was like to be a sophomore here, he leaned in a lot. And he didn't see much achievement, much success. And when he decided to fall, to jump, that's when he saw just an explosion of opportunity and success. So the jump means that you are just fully in. You're in. You're in. And you, there's, do you mean that there's nothing else in your world? Or no, I don't mean world? that. I mean, it's, a, it's the perception of talent, a perce- perception of effort. 
and they've they've studied this. Uh, two marathon runners run a race. Mm-hmm. The race is over. Mm-hmm. They say, "How much effort did you give?" And like oh, I gave everything I got. And then they ask the second runner, "How much effort did you give?" Oh, I gave everything I got. But then they studied them scientifically, and they did all the tests, and it was like, well, the second guy had more to give. Mm-hmm. And it's the perception of effort, right? So we train ourselves to think, this is the best I can do. And the people who realize that they can do more are the ones who end up with these wonderful opportunities and success and achievement, right? And the people who are like, this really is the best I can do. Well, that there's a limit to what they can achieve. Hmm. So that's why you say they run, run, you know, run to the standard. Like we've never thought there was there wasn't more to do. You know, the Marines have this one give one percent more. You know, uh, I saw a great one by Gino Oriema, who's the head coach for women's basketball at UConn, and he had an athlete run from the baseline to the free throw line. The, the far free throw line and the athlete did it in three seconds right and then he put a hundred dollars down mm-hmm. and he's like do it again mm-hmm. do you think they went faster or slower faster that's right so it's not having this this life of all encompassing you know just conquering your life and not being balanced or anything like that yeah. it's just when that when you're doing that thing mm-hmm. do it the best it can be done mm-hmm you know, so like one of the expressions we have is like, do it to the best of your ability while chasing the best way it can be done. Right. So pick pick an activity. What do you? What, any activity? Play soccer. Okay, sure. soccer. So who who's the best soccer player? In our school. Or no, that that plays your position. You in the world. Who's the best? Lionel Messi. Okay, so. You're trying to do your soccer to the best of your ability, but you're chasing Messi. Mm-hmm. Like I gotta get, I gotta get a little bit closer to Messi every time. Mm-hmm. What do you think you, your game would look like? Mm-hmm. Did I get closer to Messi today? Mm-hmm. Interesting. Right. Interesting. So that's what you're practicing. Is mindset is I'm gonna do the best I can today. Twenty mm-hmm. four hour contract. Are you a hundred? Run to the roar. You know, all those things. Yeah. And did I get closer to Messi or did he get further away? Oh, wow. Yeah. So if you have that mindset, how much better would you be at soccer, you think, if you were like, I'm trying to catch Messi? <laughs> it's crazy. Right? That's, so, that's just even hard to comprehend. But. Yeah, but that's what they're doing. Like Frank Shorter did that. Uh-huh. He's like, who's the best? I'm going to chase them. You know, it's that great expression. You uh, work so hard that your idols become your uh, rivals, right? Mm-hmm. And that's what you know. That's what's happening up there at that elite level. Mm-hmm. They're doing really elite things. I mean, there was a great story about Kobe Bryant. This guy, um, Jason Williams, who uh, is an uh, announcer for ESPN, mm-hmm. he goes to. Uh, he's, ha- he's he 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 was. I think he might be the only consensus player of the year in college mm-hmm. basketball. Like he won every single award. He was unanimous. And then he went on a, to the pros and he wasn't having a great year. And he's like, all right, I'm going to work really, really hard. Right. Mm-hmm. I heard Jason Williams gave this speech at Harvard and I was at the speech because mm-hmm. there's an end to the story too. So he gives a speech at, at Harvard 
to a room full of kids, right? Mm -hmm. um, college players, uh, students, all kinds of stu people in the room. Mm -hmm. And he says, I was having a really bad uh, rookie season. Mm -hmm. And I was, we were playing the Lakers, and he's like, I'm going to go to work today, and I'm going to change my whole approach to, to sport. And I'm going to really, really focus. I'm going to become a new player, and I'm going to go to the gym uh, a couple hours before the game. I'm going to work really hard, and I'm going to set myself up for success against the Lakers. Mm -hmm. So he goes to, at the time it was the forum, and he is warming up. He's going through a workout. and when Sorry, he was going to the forum. He sees on the other end of the court, Kobe Bryant's there, and he's dripping sweat. Oh, yeah, right. I've heard of that story. Right? So he did all his work, and then Jason was like, all right, I'm going to go to work. So Jason put in a really good effort, and it was like an hour and a half, and he worked really hard, and he felt really good about himself. And they looked down the end of the court, and Kobe was still going. <laughs> right? So uh, Jason sat there and watched, and Kobe went for another 40 minutes. <laughs> right? So he went for the same amount of time that Jason did, but he was already going when Jason got there, and he went for 40 minutes more. So he went for at least two and a half hours before the day of a game. Jason thought he gave the very best effort he could give. Kobe walks past Jason. He's like, put in a good work today, huh, kid? That's what was his, he was talking a little smack. <laughs> Later that night, the Lakers played the Bulls, and Kobe went for 60, right? So now you see... That getting back to the you know the perception of effort, Jason Williams thought he gave the best he could, and here it is on the other end of the court. There's Kobe Bryant doing what he's doing. Mm -hmm. Jason had the capacity to give more. Yeah. Right. So it wasn't over. Talk, it's not talking about encompassing your life. It's just talking about that that moment, that experience. So he gives a speech to a room full of people. Uh -huh. So when the speech was over, it was at night. Kids had the choice to do whatever they wanted. And I went to the gym and I was like, who is going to hear that speech and do something about it? And there were like 300 kids in the room, 300 people. And 299 did something else besides going to the gym. Mm -hmm. And at, this is like probably 1130 at night. And at 1130, one player walked in. It was one of my former players, Laurent Rivard. And he went to work. So he heard that speech and was like, I need to be elite. I need to do what they're doing. So rather than going to wherever everybody else went at 1130, he's like, I'm going to the gym. So he worked for about 45 minutes and worked on his three-point shooting, worked on his game, and it was an incredible workout. It was one of the best workouts I've ever watched. And Laurent ended up being a four-time Ivy League champion, uh -huh. two-time captain at Harvard, and huh. has set all the three-point records at Harvard. Wow. But it's not a coincidence. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Like those people that are doing those things are doing it, you know, that's how they just decide to do things. They're just going to do things at a high level, an elite level. So with these kids that want to come here and they want to achieve amazing things, they need examples and lessons and language on how to create amazing things. So those are the type of stories that we're just constantly throwing at them. That's amazing. I'm so kind of shell-shocked from that story. It's so powerful. Um, so lastly, it's just I want to ask about this growth mindset that you have because you seem to have this amazing growth mindset and you never stop learning. How could we learn this growth mindset? It, it's a... Uh, I don't know anyone who's ever done it 
and wishes they didn't. All right, so like, all like I don't know anyone who really, really was ego-free and, and wanted to chase the best version of themselves and really believed in that, and they were like, yeah, it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. You know, I wish I didn't. I wish <laughs> I sat on the couch. <laughs> I wish I, you know, had less of an open mindset. I wish I learned less. <laughs> I wish I, wa- didn't, I wasn't so successful. I was, you know, I'm, I've just never heard that. So I've, I've, I've done that approach. Uh, no one is born like, I don't think people are born this way or born to chase something, right? I think it's learned. And I think it's, it's, lear- it's either learned early or it can be learned late. And, um, you know, there were, I didn't understand, when I was a teenager, like I didn't understand, I didn't think it was accessible. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't think I was the person who could do it. Yeah. And I thought this type of mindset belonged to other people. Mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, I was a financial aid kid and didn't have a lot of resources. My parents weren't doctors, you mm-hmm. know, they, they weren't wildly successful and i was like well all this hard work and uh achievement that people have that belongs to other people Mm -hmm. and you know for a long time i I didn't i didn't i just didn't think it was for me like i didn't think it was that was a world i could enter Mm -hmm. and then i was like you know what i'm gonna give it a shot Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. and i found servant leadership where i found real joy in providing opportunity and a path to success for other people. Mm -hmm. And that really, really motivated, inspired me Mm -hmm. to, to be as good as I could be in order for other people to be the best they could be. Mm -hmm. And when that hit, um, I just was so driven to provide a place, um, where other people could be really, really, really successful. And I learned because I didn't have it, um, how to provide it to people because mm-hmm. I found a path to it. I found access to it. And I was mm-hmm. like, well, if I can, if I can get into this group of people then anybody can, because I never thought it was an opportunity for me. Like I just didn't think I could, be successful. I could go into hall of fames and you know, like I'm in my college hall of fame and I'm in new England basketball hall of fame. Like those things didn't seem possible. Competing for a national championship didn't seem possible. Mm-hmm. Being the best academic and basketball school in the country. Like that was some wild, crazy, dream, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then we did it. We did it, you know, like we did those things. And, um, when you have success, then you're like, all right, well it works. Mm-hmm. So I think the the thing is to, to, Realize that history means nothing and your life starts today. Your life starts right now. And before you get up out of your seat, make a decision. Before you take your headphones off, make a decision that you're going to do something. And it doesn't belong to anybody else. And it's not... The access is not limited. Um, You have the ability. You have the resources. You have the access. You just got to go for it. Because it's not limited, you know, like 
Darius Irvin was 5'7". It's not a height thing in basketball. Uh, you know, another player that I coached, I don't want to blow anybody up, another coach, player that I coached was slow. It's not a speed thing. Another player that I coached couldn't jump. It's not a height thing. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a decision that um, the insecurities that we all have, it's self too, you know? Like, it's how you communicate with yourself, how you see yourself. And I say, like, the most important friendship you can make is the person in the mirror. Like, that's the most important friendship you can make. And uh, decide that you're going to do something. Like, I was not a book reader when I was a kid. And I, I'm, I'm just constantly reading, right? And those are practice, those are choices, and it's just, like, just decide, the the idea of that light switch it's so uh it's so real and i've watched it happen so many times with our kids where they just like i'm gonna decide to do this and they did it and they you know they achieved their craziest dreams so like we last i mean this will be the last thing uh because i know you got practice yeah um, you know write and i we do this we, we do this with a bunch. write down your goals everybody has a goal to play at the highest level mm-hmm. right but the kids who achieve their dreams, are ma- they make it really specific. Mm-hmm. So our joke is, if you pick Harvard as the place you want to go and you miss, too bad, you got to go to Yale. <laughs> right? <laughs> but if my goal That's is true. to play Ivy League and I miss, I'm not in the Ivy League. Ah. Right? So with a dream, it's way more specific. A goal is general. Ah. Uh. Right, I want to go to Division One. I. I want to play in the Pac-12. I want to, you know, live in Boston. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, I want to live on Newberry Street. You know, at this address, with this size apartment, and it's like that vision board. You know. Yeah. So, I believe in that type of stuff. So, if your dream is to play for Manchester United, and my dream is to play at the highest level. Who's gonna? Are yeah. you falling or are you leaning? Yeah, it's like that quote that said, "Miss, miss high," or yeah, yeah. aim high so you miss high. I had a parent I interviewed a parent uh, when I was working in admissions. I said, um, "You're really setting the bar high for your kid. Like, I don't know if he's gonna be able to get into North Carolina." And he's like, "Well, if I don't tell him to reach for the moon, he can't jump over trees." And I was like, I love that. <laughs> Taking it. <laughs> and I put that on my, my speech list. <laughs> so it's the same thing. So, if, you know, that's what I'm talking about with the practice. Like, you know, you're practicing uh, a dream and I'm practicing a goal. The dream is going to win. Yeah. If you're chasing your dream every day and I'm chasing my goal and we have the same amount of talent, same amount of ability, you're going to beat me. Because you're just going that much harder than I am. Yeah. If everyone's working at the same level of effort, who wins? The most talented. So you got to change the way you, your perception of effort and the, the 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 vehicle that you use to get there, and the opportunity and all the different tools you have are limitless. Mm. You know how many stories you heard? Like, well, I grew up, I had nothing, I had nothing. Look, look where I am now. Like, there's just too many of those stories. They're bringing a different mindset to it. Wow. I am going to take action. 
I believe it. I'm going to take action. And I, I will. I, you, you changed my mindset yeah. today. Before you Thank get out of so. that seat. Before, before you, I get out of the seat, I'm making this decision. That's right. I will make this decision. Because oh, I'm no, telling I, you, like, I am making this, this decision. This really will be the last thing. Yeah. <laughs> if you and I are standing next to each other. Yeah. And you move your feet 15 degrees. Yeah. And we start walking. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. If we, if you didn't do that and we walked 3000 miles, we would be in San Francisco together. Hmm. Right. If we didn't change and, and like, if we didn't do any difference, like we just stood next to each other and we just walked, we would end up in the same place together. Sure. But if you move your foot 15 degrees and like we 15, start, yeah. and we start walking, yeah, you're going to end up in Mexico <laughs> and I'm going to end up in San Francisco. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I think it was like Neil Armstrong said it, one of the, uh, the uh, astronauts. He's like, uh, at the, when you're landing and you miss by an inch, you miss by an inch. But at takeoff, if you miss by an inch, you miss the moon by millions and millions of miles. Huh. So it literally is right now, right here, before you get out of that seat, before you take off your headphones, you can make a change in your mindset. Literally. And you can do it anytime you want. Right? So like, this will be the last thing. (laughs) The success that I've seen most often are the people who can quickly pivot from their goals and get new goals, new dreams, right? People like, oh, I want to be on varsity and I want to start. Great. You achieve that. Now what? Like my next goal is to be the leading scorer. Okay, you did that. Now what? My best, you know, like those are the people that I've seen that truly succeed is when they can achieve and then reestablish, achieve, reestablish, achieve, reestablish. And so many people are like, oh, I achieved. Let me take a break. You know, it's definitely smell the roses, but achieve, succeed, reestablish, achieve, succeed, reestablish. Like those are the people that yeah. are just doing crazy things. Yeah. I feel like we can run this for hours and hours. And you definitely have so many things to share. Yeah. We should definitely go in the future, but I know you have to run to practice. No, I'm good. I'm good. If you yeah. go, if you're good, I'm good. Yeah. Um, did you have a good time here today? This was awesome. This was awesome. Yeah. This was better than I thought it was going to be, and I thought it was really? Gonna be great. You're really, really good at this. I hope you stay with it. <laughs> yeah. I thought I didn't do so well today, but I mean, you, you just you did 99% of the talking. Is I might have talked most. the most, but like. You receive information like you're a thoughtful uh, interviewer, Thank but you. more importantly than that, that you are participating um, with your body language. Mm-hmm. So that makes a big difference too. So you're really good at this. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I am so grateful that you came today. Thanks. I'm going to take action, but uh, but I know we have to go. But thank you for coming again. And for listeners, thank you all so much for listening. And I hope I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Thanks,